I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Curzon Film Podcast. This week we'll be discussing Javier Beauvoir's World War I drama The Guardians, a film about the women of a family who are left behind to work and survive on their family farm when the men of the family have left to go to war. I'm Sam Howlett and left behind to tend to the podcast with me this week. Uh, Amy Watts. And Hello. <laughs> and Stephen Ryder. Hello. How are you guys doing? Very good, thank you. Tired. Yeah. Tired. Why? You've been farming all day. so written and directed by Javier Beauvoir uh, based on a novel by Ernest Perrichon the film is set between 1915 and 1920 at Le Paradier Farm which has changed dramatically since the men of the family have left home to fight on the front line the mother of the family Hortense Sandrail has been left behind with her daughter Solange, taken over courageously, but uh, finds it hard to get by with all the workload. And when harvest time comes around, she makes up her mind to hire a farmhand. She's too late and no men are available. And so the mayor recommends an orphan named Francine Rion. Hortense agrees and the choice soon appears a blessing as the girl proves perfect, well-mannered and respectful. She's also a hard worker who does not bulk at any task. Now, before we talk about it, uh, let's talk a little bit about World War One in film. World War One in film. Mm. Um, I'm not gonna lie. I try and stay clear of war films, but well, that's. I mean, yeah. This is this this is probably the quietest World War One <laughs> yeah. film ever made. I think there are two two battle scenes in the whole film. Really, wouldn't even call them battle scenes. There's dreams. Aren't they? Dreams. Yeah. I mean, the first. There's the you, you the did opening. say you did say obviously the film opens in 1915, mm. um, which is in the kind of midst of the yeah. trench warfare. I think. Um, and uh, we see kind of like 30 seconds of the soldiers and then that's that's our kind of uh, link to the war. But, setting the scene. Yeah, setting the scene. But it's, it's an odd thing to do um, because um, usually in First World War films, it is about trench warfare, right? Absolutely. And it is about yeah. kind of like um, hunkering down um, and, and getting through things. Um, but with this one, the pressure's coming from like a long, long way away but these women that are still working on this farm can feel every single like bit of that pressure yeah. on them. Um, and I think that's a really fascinating kind of juxtaposition towards the, the normal World War One film. Uh, is there a reason you don't like uh, war films, Amy? I just find them um, quite boring. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but that's really bad. And I'd, that's not to say I hate all war films. And, you know, 
I'm, what I'm saying is I try and stay clear of World War One, World War Two, because yeah. I, I don't know, there's been so many. Mm-hmm. No, it's true. Like, yeah. I like learning about wars I don't know about. Mm-hmm. For mm-hmm. example, you know, the Rwandan. Yeah. But this, to me, feels like a war that we don't know about, to be honest. Yeah. Like, it feels like a, a kind of, you know... Because it, 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 let's face it, it's less interesting in a way, like on the surface level, to look at people who aren't fighting in the war. I was uh, trying to uh, think of some. Before, I, I've seen more TV than yeah. there was a Sarah Waters adaptation. It was in World War Two, but mm-hmm, mm-hmm. similar, you yeah, know. Yeah. Um, called The Night Watch, it is great. You should yeah. all check that out. And uh, The Last of the Blonde Bombshells with Judy Dench. Mm-hmm. So right when I was like thirteen, found it on YouTube recently. And these are about it. these are about people back home. Yeah, I would say that the adaptations I've seen tend to show that women quite find war in a sense liberating because they get to do things they haven't done before. They're mm. allowed into the workforce, and then when the men come home, they're sort of rele- relegated back to the. So uh, yeah, but, but but when the men come home is oh the key yeah, part, if and right? when if yeah, and of when. course. Because um, that's the thing with this film. I think the fact that we spend so long with these women watching them work so so mm-hmm. hard yeah. and and not complain. To be mm. perfectly honest, like they mm. do their job uh, because they know they need to do it. And then to watch um, at times in the film to watch uh, somebody have to come and tell them that their their husband or their son has died, you can see that like all this hard work that they've been putting in to them all of a sudden feels like nothing. Yeah. And that's quite heartbreaking, I think, to, to watch in a, in a film of this ilk. Yeah. Right, let's track through the film a bit then and introduce uh, who the family are. Uh, first of all, I just want to add that if you do have any uh, thoughts or review of The Guardians, you can check at, at Curzon Cinemas on Twitter and reply to the call-outs, or you can email us, podcast at Curzon.com, and we can read you out on next week's show. So we have Hortense Sandrail, played by Natalie Bay. She is very much the matriarch of the family. Uh, and then her two sons, Constant and Georges, have gone to war along with her daughter, Solange's husband, Clovis. Who was Henri? Was that her? Henri's her husband. Her husband. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He has like little to nothing to yeah, do in the film, it's... which is why I was like, is Come he? On, that's not her husband. Henri. The, the guy that they live with. Yeah. Well, I no, because they talk about at the beginning. That's what I thought I heard. Yeah. yeah the, the the father's dead and um, he'd be proud of uh, Constant. It's the women on the farm that are actually doing the oh, work yeah. that, sure. that are important. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a dense film in terms of character, but the information comes at uh, uh, these incremental kind of spots. It's so they sporadic. Can, yeah, it's very yeah. sporadic. There can be these long periods of the film where seemingly nothing is happening and it's a beautiful kind of... Um, landscape shot of people farming yeah. um, very painterly in a lot of places and then all of a sudden there'll be this kind of uh, inciting incident and you have to kind of like throw yourself back into the film and I'm sure that's what it felt like for the characters as well like days and months go by without anything of any importance happening and then all of a sudden you know somebody yeah. comes home or revisits uh, and it's it kind of throws everything into chaos all of a sudden yeah and I think that the film does something really well and that's the passing of time uh, which some films don't always get right, and some it's not clear exactly how long. Loads of films. I mean, this helps that it tells you the year, but I just think it feels it feels like it's been a year yeah. between each time it tells you the year. Mm-hmm. So it's between 1915 and 1920. And I think it tells you each, when each year passes, and it does feel like a year's passed on the farm. I think it's because of the, the seasons. That's the one. The that's seasons going to say, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You get to see some really beautiful establishing shots every time. Kind of the seasons change. Um, 
and uh, the the cinematographer. I so the cinematographer's name is Caroline Champetier. <laughs> Um, she is. She seems to be incredible at capturing capturing like the temperature mm. of a scene. Yeah. So if it's like late spring, she seems to be able to grab the sun shining in just the right spot or like at just the right height and just mm. the right brightness for you to kind of suddenly feel the heat of the scene. And I think that's a really really smart thing to do in a film like this because, as Sam said, it's it, it it does tell you the passing of time without being very explicit about it. She uh, shoots a lot of misty scenes, doesn't she? Yeah, that was great. Which kind of reflects the fact that they're they're in the dark about what's going on other than on the farm. You know, they don't know what's happening to them. It feels very, like, hermetic, like a closed-in world. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't recall, apart from towards the end, seeing a scene kind of outside of the farm. Well, um, there is a scene in the village. In the village, yeah. When um, Francine goes to buy a brooch. Oh, lovely scene. Lovely, yeah. yeah. so, so nice. Quite a quaint village. I mean, it's, you know, if if it was shot in London, you would see, uh, I feel like there would be more. Yeah. Well, maybe that's more World War <laughs> I should just, yeah. I, I think, no, I think, can we, can we, can we talk a bit about um, Iris Bry, uh, the actress who plays Francine? Um, because you just mentioned the brooch scene. Yeah. Which I think is my is one of my favourite scenes in the film because obviously she's a character that comes from a very poor background. She's an orphan, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and she kind of doesn't balk at all at hard work and really pushes herself to help this family as much as she can. And I think the actress, Iris Bry, I think I read somewhere that she was she was pulled off the streets mm, I uh, so. kind of by a director and who told her, you've got the exact look I'm looking for, brought her onto the film. And um, I think she absolutely knocks it out of the park. I think she's really, really fantastic in this and kind of the, the beating heart of a film that is quite quite slow. And I think she really keeps it kind of moving along in, in, a, in a really nice way. Yeah, the character um, has made the best of her situation. She finds herself in a lot of unlucky situations, I guess. Um, and, you know, she learnt to read and write and she's saved money. Um, and she's kind of the only character that, remains moral throughout the... Oh, that's an interesting take. I mean, I I, I think maybe that's why they cast this this actor, because she does some amazing kind of... She's she's obviously a very beautiful uh, actor, but she's also done some amazing things with her face, and especially her mouth. Like, she's trying to hold back a smile a lot of the time. Mm. And I think it really kind of shows you that she doesn't want to be kind of very emotionally naked in front of people, but she's um, got this... She's got a real tenderness about her, I think. And I think the brooch scene that we were talking about really shows that, mm. how she, um, when when the, the, the person in the shop hands it over to her, the way she says thank you to her is, like, so full. Of, like, she's, she's, not, she's not just saying thank you for helping me out today in the shop. She's saying, like, thank you for sharing this moment with me. And I think it's really, really sweet. No, I think it's genuinely sweet. I think she wants to remember this time that she finally had enough money to spend on something that was hers. Well, no, she gave it away, didn't she? Yeah, but then she could give so that she could give yeah. it to Marguerite, right? Again, um, moral. Yeah, moral, very moral. Yeah, but um, and I mean the scene just before that, the the guy in the the shop says to her, the guy, who is that man, by the way? Yeah, is that some kind of mere figure? Or... Yeah, he's kind of like he seems. She seems like she's his ward. Yes, like, I think it's something. Don't know because nice. he kind of maybe he's the guardian. He's the guardian. <laughs> That's what the film's about him. <laughs> He, he says to her, you have more money now than most kind of bourgeois yeah. Uh, women. Yeah, she's got loads of... Yeah, because yeah. Yeah, she's smart and, you know, capable. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and um, the, the look on her face, again, is one of, like, 
pride, I guess. She's also the one that, the character that complains the least and has, she seems to remain the strongest in a sense. Like she never, a lot of the other characters have these pained expressions on their face just the whole time. Mm. And um, she internalizes everything, it seems. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's because she's not got someone in the war until George. George. Yeah. So uh, the men of the family intimately come home on leave. So uh, Constant comes home first. Then we meet Clovis, who is Solange's husband. And then Georges comes home. And Georges and Francine hit it off right away. They do. And uh, that's another kind of narrative thread going through the film. This kind of relationship that they they Mm. share. I don't know about you guys, but I thought that they had some really great, like, sexual tension between them. (laughs) I thought that they were, like, they they worked really, really well together as a couple. Great chemistry. Great chemistry. And it felt like in a film like this that... um, I wasn't expecting it to be kind no, of so palpable. I thought it would be all that. <coughs> excuse me. I thought it would be more. Uh, oh, I'm talking about this stuff. It just yeah. My throat. Uh, I expect it to be more suggested yeah, than it is for sure. Yeah, uh, but it's, so it's just to be like because there's a bit where like um, they the forest. Let's, yeah, but they go to the forest and I thought oh you wouldn't see anything it would be uh, behind the rock but uh, it's I like mean, it's like when the train goes through a tunnel. Yeah, it's, it's it like cuts away <laughs> to a. It's far from it's far from explicit. Yeah, but it certainly no, it doesn't shy doesn't away. Doesn't shy away from no, the fact from that, the tension yeah. that they kind of that 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 scene needs. I think, mm. um, and the release for I think for both of them that yeah. they need that. But I think they worked really well off each other, considering, um, you know, he's he's quite a, he's quite small in stature, and I think she's quite. She comes across quite grand sometimes, mm. and I think that despite that, they kind of worked really well as a on-screen couple, and it was really great to see. And he's giving you a look. <laughs> I just find that just the oddest thing to say. Why? Just do you often think about the body types of people when on, you're on screen? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Sure. I'm just maybe I'm more into the emotion of it. Not, I'm not, just in, not, not in life, but on screen. Like it's. I think it's difficult to find a couple that go together well. I mean, that's why they do casting sessions with two people a lot of the time. Yeah, but isn't the whole point? the characters themselves rather than what they look like together, no? Because it, like, it doesn't matter. Keep going. <laughs> well, it's I was thinking in Call Me By Your Name, like, they don't really go well together. No, but they play off that in Call Me By Your Name, don't they? Like, that's the point of that film. And I think yeah, it I, works well. It's mm-hmm. so similar similar to this, I think, in that they... It's their first loves, like their first mm-hmm. passions. It certainly seems to be her, for the, the first man that she's it is. She with, says it is the first man she's been with and the only man she's loved. Wow. We don't know about George though. Oh, actually, do we? Do kind of know about George, Marguerite. We don't know. Uh... Yeah. They definitely have not. No. 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 She's. she's Who, a sorry, character. we haven't introduced Marguerite. Yeah. She's Clovis's daughter from a previous marriage, yes. right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And they're kind of. There's. I think Marguerite very much expects that she'll grow up and marry George, and uh, I think the whole family kind of do as well. Yeah. Especially, yeah. Well, Hortense definitely, I think, thinks that. Yeah. Um, and, it, and, and it probably would have happened if... Yeah. But he well, says that he thinks of her as uh, his little sister. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's kind of a heartbreaking scene that, but I think George handles it quite well. Um when he tells her... When he friend zones her. Yeah, when he Sister zones. <laughs> I'm sorry, but that was not a great friend zone. It wasn't? No, he was like, you're so beautiful, and then kissed her on the forehead. Make it clearer. <laughs> <laughs> That's a fair point, Amy. Just saying. That's a very fair point. Um, <laughs> but no, I think I think that she's a really a really sweet character and one that you feel quite Marguerite. Love. Yeah. Oh, she found her very annoying. Really? Yeah, she I looks empathize. through Francine's letters. Yeah, that's sneaky. She, yeah, and, and that was heartbreaking when Francine tries to give her the brooch and she just, you know, they're Francine's both, an orphan. and Yeah, but they're know. both, their, mom, their mother's died in childbirth, didn't both yes, of them. Yes, That's what they share in I think, common. I, think, I liked their relationship up until that point. I think comparing um, Marguerite to Francine is I'm harsh not comparing Because them. Marguerite is a troubled kind of person. <laughs> Whereas Francine's kind of perfect in every way. So it's, I, I, I don't know. No, I'm not comparing them. I'm just saying that I liked their friendship before that. And it, what really annoyed me about the film, actually, while we're here, um, <laughs> is the fact that you didn't really see the, the women, like, chat a lot with each other. I don't know, I thought there'd be more, like, bonding scenes. I think they were working too hard. Like, I think they were all tired. Yeah, maybe it's um, that. Like, when they're in the field and they're having their lunch, they were just quiet, I thought. That's a beautiful shot, mm. by the way. Um, I love the way she pans faces. Yeah, oh, yeah. incredible. Like, the, the, that scene where they're, all, where they're all sitting around eating, and, yeah, I think the camera pans t- almost twice around, and then it comes back around to yeah. the original group, and then they run because one of the sons has come back home. Um, and I think it's all done in one shot, and it's very slow. And it takes its time, but it I think it just pays off in the end. I think it's just a lovely kind of moment where yeah. everyone's exhausted and they're taking a break, you know, and well, thinking. She pans in the church as well during the funeral because it's like they're there again and you can see the the struggle and frustration that this war is, hasn't stopped yet. Yeah, there's almost kind of a an apathy on their faces mm. to the point where they're like they're dead. Like, yeah. you know, that they, they can't they, they can't keep going through the same thing every Sunday hearing who's died in the town that week and you're right there is a distinct lack of joy in this film (laughs) (laughs) but that's why the moments of joy I think are so great Mm. like Mm. like we talk about like the sex scene like her buying the brooch Um, I think um, towards the end when she goes to get her child christened Mm -hmm. is another moment where you see Francine and she looks like there was a yeah. weight of the world's off her shoulders mm-hmm. and and just the moment where she says as well like I'm going to have this child and I'm going to raise it and it's going to stick and up for me yeah, oh, I, I knew you'd me. like that yeah, <laughs> yeah it was so so yeah. sweet and it what didn't come across it didn't come for me from a place of like pity either no she was quite proud yeah, and yeah. Um, she really defies the norm of uh, gender expectations of that time there's a lot of sexism in the film there's expectations for Solange to have children they keep bringing it up all yeah, the time they do. They do. 
Paul Solange can't have children. Um, and then sexual harassment they have to deal with, mm. and that actually ends up ruining Francine's uh, situation, mm. shall we say. I don't know if you want to talk about more. Mm. Um, and uh, the expectation to get married. Despite oh, and slut-shaming. And, yeah, and despite the fact that there are never any men around, yeah. <laughs> they're still feeling that yeah, kind of... I know, yeah. They're still yeah. policing yeah. each other. Yeah. yeah. It's very, very strange in that regard. And I think... That, um, it's how deep these things are in groups. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. It's it's very. I mean, I think the film really nails that because you. I mean, war is described all the time as like a folly of men, right? Mm. And you do feel that throughout the film that it's these women that are having to kind of shoulder the burden of keeping the, the mm. keeping what the world normal, yeah, keeping society yeah. normal whilst the men go off and ruin it. Um, so yeah, I think you're right. I think all of those things and the women policing themselves is a really interesting. Like part of the film and there was that great scene between Hortense and Solange when she confronts her that's a really great scene you you know that that's real life mother and daughter I thought that because they look so similar at one point I thought um, the older lady what's her name sorry Natalie Bay yeah Natalie Bay Bay. was actually just um, the younger actress Natalie Bay (laughs) Natalie Bay sorry (laughs) guys I said Natalie Bay that's very good Uh, Natalie Bay (laughs) It, you thought it was just her with the makeup on, and they'd like, they shot the scene. I was like, the these scene. look too similar. If you actually had a look at them. Unbelievable as mother and daughter, because they're too similar looking. Amy writes in her review. <laughs> no, I thought that was a good thing. No, if you look at Martin Sheen and Charlie Sheen, I don't believe it. Don't cast them. Don't cast them together, come on. Um, well, Nat- don't the cast them. Cha- <laughs> Natalie B, when she was younger, looks exactly like Laura Smith does now. It's kind of uncanny. So who's Natalie? Because I, I looked at the actors obviously but I was like oh they don't have the same name no, so they they're not you gave up there case closed yeah. <laughs> um, but no they are they are a real life mother and daughter and I think that scene in particular if you were to watch that now knowing that uh, is really yeah. incredible uh, the way that they play off each no, other I, yeah Yeah. Mm. do you know what I mean yeah. um, when... also, I love the way Solange is like I have desires yeah mm. Great. Mm. let's hear more about that um <laughs> but Nat- Natalie Bay is kind of like a... Um, She's a, a veteran of the screen. She is a veteran. She? What did you think to her character, Amy, in terms of... Um, not no. Solange, no. Oh, the Hortense. Hortense. I'm going to talk more about that scene. Oh, sorry. sorry. Yeah, just about that scene. Okay. Do you think she's kind of the antagonist of this film or do you relate to the things that she does? Um, no, I don't relate to her. No. 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 I think, um, yeah, her prejudice is kind of sickness in a way mm. like I actually think it ends up causing her more pain than doing good she's very like oh I'm doing this for my family but really she's just doing it for her I don't know I guess reputation mm. um, but there's that great scene when um, Horton has Hortense. Hortense, sorry. Um, Hortense uh, catches the eye of Francine when Francine is um, christening her granddaughter essentially oh, yeah. um, and you see how shaken she Hortons, uh, how shaken Hortons is. She looks in pain for a lot of the film. She does. I really, uh, well, the first half of the film, I admired her greatly, and then when she, um, when she exiles, yeah. Francine. I mean, do we empathise with her though for the fact that she, um, she's been left to kind of look after this family, and if she sees any kind of cracks in that mm. dynamic, she feels the need to like paper them up immediately. But um, she's also causing her son pain. I agree. Um, I don't know. I, I thought she could have been redeemed, but maybe it's more interesting that mm. she um, 
goes against the expectation to be good and right. Yeah, yeah I think because the whole film, she's just being, she's on one hand, she's being the grieving mother, and she has a some great scenes as the grieving mother. But then also she has to be, you know, the strength of the family, and she mm-hmm. does that well. But that's kind of a a well worn thing, isn't it? The other mother trying to keep it together while mm-hmm. what's going on. And I think this, the last sort of twenty minutes of the film shows Autons to be one of the most like more in, more complex characters in mm, the film. Yeah. And the fact that she isn't redeemed, that she has lived the fact that the reason she doesn't see her grandchild and the reason her son isn't with his child is her fault. Mm-hmm. It's all her fault. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When you when you kind of lay out her character arc yeah. from beginning to end like this and it's I had weird, it's that, a weird arc. It's a weird arc, yeah. but it's it's good. Like mm. it's actually a really good arc. And I think the fact that there is a lack of redemption for her. I mean the person I watched it with t- turned to me at the end and said so she's she doesn't get to kind of have a have a reconciliation with her son, um, and I think that's really odd. It's really brave for a film to do that, I think, um, and uh, but odd. Um, and I think that it kind of puts a full stop on her character. And I th- I thought she by the end of the film it painted her as a bit of a villain. But I'm trying to find a kind of way to empathize. Yeah, I don't know. Really. Villain is yeah, vill- villain's a strong word. a strong word. But she's just the what she's um, when you compare it earlier with me to atonement didn't you yes yeah i was thinking about atonement in the fact that one instant kind of changes the course of Mm. people's i mean one misinterpretation Mm. changes Mm. the course of people's lives Mm. i I would say though that i think i feel like the guardians does kind of the the final scene does end on a really nice note it left yeah it left left me you know the 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 kind of final shot of 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 of, uh, her smiling Francine smiling is um it's a lovely smile and it yeah. seems very genuine but it, f- it feels like it was done almost that uh once the director had said cut which was strange for me do you know what yeah I mean? yeah like, yeah I reckon laugh, kind of. someone yeah. does something offset yeah that's what it just felt like. like yeah but they decided to keep it in because it was so genuine it's a really uh, really yeah. nice ending actually yeah, really... it was a massive tone change but I guess the war's over so it's true know. it's true it's I, it was yeah it was odd for me to see the film kind of jump from 19. 19- 18 to 1920 mm. so quickly like that after mm. we'd spent like yeah. the years felt very long in this film and you could yeah. feel the the time that these women had spent farming and then all of a sudden you jump to 1920 and things changed a lot you know and she seems to have you know um gotten over the fact that she had lost the love of her life um, yeah and it's it, it, in that way it was nice to see you know mm. it's a nice ending uh, i wanted to quickly get in that uh the dream that george has where he's fighting these like gas mask wearing soldiers he takes off their gas mask, and it's him. It's him. That's uh, that's Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> Seriously, that there is a. You think that, it's a homage? It must be. Yeah. It can only be a homage to the Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> I mean, George wouldn't have seen Empire Strikes Back in 19, 1917. Yeah, that's weird. <laughs> Javier Beauvoir has though. I'm he sure. has. He has. Lampierre. That must have no, been your least favorite scene, then, Amy. I liked that scene actually. Oh, you did? Yeah. Have you two seen them? Did you two get that? Yeah, but, yeah, 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 yeah. With the... <laughs> yeah, but I was so like, this is so that dream. This is weird. Yeah, I think a lot of people probably have dreams in which they they fight kill themselves. themselves. Yeah, I think so. I mean, has that happened to you before? No, no. <laughs> no. Right, has it you? Then. You do? I think so. No, I don't think so. I think so. I'm quite scared of doppelgangers, though. In general, I think they're the, the scariest thing. Really? Like, imagine waking up at, and you look at the end of bed, and there's a figure at the end of your bed, and you turn the light on, and it's you. <laughs> Like, that's weird, right? That's less scary, you know? I saw this film at the London Film Festival last year, and uh, I didn't like it very much at the time. Um, I was mentioning to you off mic, Sam, that I think it's because uh, The Guardians isn't a festival film in the sense that you can kind of fit it in around 
four or five films a day. Yeah. Um, it's, mm-hmm. you know, lengthy, it's slow, and it can emotionally it can take a lot out of you. But I think in a kind of, uh, in a capsule, going to the cinema to see this, um, whether it's a matinee screening or an evening screening or what, um, I think it works really, really well as like a little um, time capsule film um, of a of a niche set of people that probably don't get enough written or made about them. Yeah, I mean, shows. I haven't seen many adaptations of portraying World War One in France. I mean, especially on a farm. Yeah, no, especially <laughs> on a farm away it's from It's a story that hasn't itself. been told. Yeah. It, and it portrays greatly quiet stoicism that women often have. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know if either of you have seen The Gleaners and I, uh, the Agnes Varda film, um, but she talks really about... Yeah, it's it's a fantastic movie, but she talks about a uh, painter, the Gleaners, the painter uh, that, that, that painted that is called uh, Millet, and he did a lot of these uh, farming scenes that I, I'm, I'm positive that... Yeah, there must be yeah, yeah, it's referential Jean, to Jean this. Jean-Francois yeah. Millet, like you can see um yes it's, it's kind of very much like the magic hour very much a lot of women working on farmland and they're very famous throughout france as these kind of iconic pictures nostalgic pictures of the war um yeah. and this film i think captures that really really well um i think uh, days of heaven i don't know if you've seen Max, yeah, days of heaven yeah. definitely i think visually takes a lot from that film and that's a beautiful film and the fact yeah. they've managed to replicate that kind of tone in any way whatsoever um is, is fantastic yeah really impressive I agree really beautiful to look at this film no doubt. and I think that although it is a f- somewhat familiar story I think the characters actually become far more complex and interesting than I thought they would in a film like this yeah yeah all right so that's the Guardians which is out today in cinemas and also on Curzon Home Cinema uh, but as well as the Guardians we also have another new film on Curzon Home Cinema The Eyes of Orson Welles uh, which is Mark Cousins Mark Cousins <laughs> Mark Cousins' uh, documentary where he discovers a secret vault uh, filled with Orson Welles' drawings and it's all about how Orson Welles literally views the world and it's a really interesting, really meditative look at Orson Welles as a visual, not just a filmmaker, but just as sort of a master of the visual terrain. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's on Home Cinema as well. And we also have the Mark Cousins' Curated Collection, so to tie in with this new film, Mark Cousins has created a season of films with the lavish style Orson Welles was renowned for. So the films he's chosen, which he feels fit in with the Orson Welles sort of stylistic uh, aesthetic are The Warrior, You the Living, The Lives of Others, American Psycho, Le Bonheur, Boy Meets Girl, American Donnie Psycho. Darko, The Babadook, Sexy Beast and Le Quattro Volte. What a, a very what a, weird, eclectic what a very mix collection. of films, but hey, Mark Cousins sees uh, some awesome wells in each of them. Is, it, is there any way you can read about what he sees in each of them? I would love to know. That's fan- that's fascinating. Well, list. he's he's written a little blurb. In each case, these films seem to have more style than they need. They go beyond realism or understatement and take us into a wild world. They seem bursting with a love of film with its operatic potential. They have elements of magic, myth, or the circus. In all these they have Wells's exuberant approach, his uncontainable with a way with a camera. Wells' film and these movies dynamise the world. They make it exciting, an adventure, a labyrinth. <laughs> that's that's super interesting. Mm. I mean, I couldn't think of two movies that are more different than yeah. The Babadook and Le Quattro Volte. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. 
Um, but yeah, a great selection of films, uh, all available now on Curzon Home Cinema. Uh, so, as ever, do let us know what you thought of The Guardians or any film we've discussed uh, on the podcast, either by emailing podcast.curzon.com or finding us on Twitter at Curzon Cinemas. So that's goodbye from Stephen. Bye-bye. Goodbye from Amy. Au revoir. Oh, I was going to do that. <laughs> and it's goodbye from me. Adieu. <laughs> Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.